0: back to Informed and Inflamed, where we seek to inform our minds with truth in order to inflame our hearts with love for God and neighbor. I'm Brad Owens. I'm excited that you're joining me today for another episode. this episode, we're going to talk a little bit about the Netflix series, Stranger Things. So I think this will be pretty fun. But first, let me explain why. I'm finishing up one of my classes at Reformed Theological Seminary in Charlotte, and the class is Christ and Culture taught by Dr. James Anderson. It's been an incredibly helpful course, and one of the assignments was to choose a cultural product. So a TV show, movie, song, advertisement, anything like that and analyze it from a Christian worldview. So when we think about stranger things, I hope that these brief thoughts will help you see how you can do this with just about anything from culture. And it's actually an amazingly helpful tool in parenting and in discipleship in general. Processing things from culture in light of what God says to us in his word helps us develop our skills at discernment, learning to identify the good in something while also being able to spot what's bad. Cultural engagement and analysis requires both of those things being able to identify the good and being able to see the bad. Because of God's common grace, we can find good things even in fallen, unbelieving culture. In the theological world, common grace is distinguished from saving grace. Saving grace is what God gives to those who trust in Christ and are saved from their sins. Common grace, on the other hand, is given to all people regardless of whether they're followers of Jesus or not. And because God is so lavish with his blessings and works, even in a non-saving way, in and through non-Christians, we can benefit from the thoughts, the achievements, and the perspectives of those who do not share the faith that we have in Christ. But again, as Dr. James Anderson has said in this class, culture as we encounter is always a mixture of both good and evil. So, we need to develop careful and thoughtful discernment as we engage with culture. David Wells, he's provided a classic definition of worldliness, and this is so relevant to a discussion of cultural engagement. But he says, worldliness is whatever makes sin look normal and righteousness look strange. It's just about impossible to overstate how often this is happening through media. So again, this is helpful to know as we disciple each other and help one another learn how to identify the cultural influences that shape us. We are being taught and our children are being taught in thousands upon thousands of subtle and not so subtle ways that God's ways are outdated and oppressive and that true freedom and joy is found in throwing off those shackles and in discovering our true selves and the cultural current is forcefully flowing in the wrong direction. So it takes great faith to believe that God's ways are truly best for us. But as we raise our children, we need to help them analyze the music they listen to and the movies and TV shows that they watch in light of the scriptures. If we don't, they will be shaped by the culture in deep and profound ways. So there's somewhat of an urgency in learning how to do this well. But since I just can't resist the opportunity to point you toward a good book on this, Dan Strange wrote a book called Plugged In. The subtitle is Connecting Your Faith with What You Watch, Read, and Play. And he says a lot of really helpful things in there. It's a short, very relevant book. And one thing he says is that we have to learn how to both connect with culture, pointing out the good we see in it, while at the same time challenging culture showing either how the culture gets things wrong or how they highlight good values but do not anchor them in Christ because Christ is the ultimate source of all good things. But now let's think about stranger things. So first, the community that develops between all the main characters is one place where we see a mixture of good and evil. For example, like the vast majority of TV shows and movies out there these days, The sexual morality displayed in Stranger Things is very worldly and unbiblical. As I mentioned a moment ago, David Wells says that worldliness is whatever makes sin look normal and righteousness look strange. And the sexual ethic displayed between the characters of this show does exactly that. It seeks to make sin look normal. And not only that, but there's also a worldly picture of the use of language and alcohol that's also a part of the show. But on the other hand, the community that forms between all the main characters also comes across as a very beautiful thing. There's a neat sense of camaraderie between the good characters as they figure out how to fight against the creatures from the upside-down world. What typically happens in each season of the show is that each character, or small little group of characters, learns some vital piece of information that's needed to defeat the enemy. And yet that vital bit of insight is not enough by itself to win the fight. The character or the small cluster of characters needs the indispensable insights that are gained from other characters. And it isn't until the end of each season when everybody unites that they begin to piece it all together and the way forward becomes clear. And because of this, Stranger Things presents a very beautiful picture of community and of our desperate need for each other. We cannot figure it all out on our own. We need the insights and help of other people. As Ed Welch has said in one of his books, we are both needy and needed. So what Stranger Things doesn't point out, of course, is that the truest and deepest community that we all long for can only be found within the Christian community because it is only there that people find the deepest desires of their hearts satisfied in relationship with the one true God. Another thing we can say about Stranger Things is that it also paints a realistic and faithful picture of the suffering and loss involved in life. One of the main characters, Joyce Byers, is a great example of this. In season one, we learn that she and her two sons had been abandoned by her ex-husband, and she was left to figure out how to raise her two boys on her own. In season one, the disappearance of her son, Will, leaves her emotionally frantic and consumed with how to find her son. And in season two, Joyce enters into a romantic relationship with Bob, who treats her well and truly does love her. But at the end of season two, Bob's killed by one of the upside-down creatures as he is helping make sure everyone else gets out of the research facility safely. This tragic loss wounded Joyce profoundly, which can be seen in her reluctance to begin a new romantic relationship with Hopper in the third season. But Joyce Byers and her life experiences paint an accurate picture of the devastating loss and heartache that so many of us experience in life. Suffering is real and it impacts us profoundly. And this reality comes through powerfully in the character of Joyce. And as a viewer, the suffering and loss that Joyce experiences provides a connection between her character and the lives of us who have also endured tremendous suffering and have had to grieve the loss of loved ones. At the same time, though, the Christian perspective provides something that a secular perspective doesn't. In Stranger Things, Joyce struggles to deal with her heartache and pain. And at the end of season three, after her and Hopper's relationship ends because of his supposed death, she and her two boys, along with Elle, Hopper's adopted daughter, pack up their things and move out of town. The pain of all the suffering she had endured in Hawkins, Indiana was just too much for her, so she had to leave. Overall, as the seasons progress, you see that Joyce continues to hope that maybe a new relationship will finally provide joy and happiness that will last. And yet, she continues to experience more and more suffering as she opens up her heart once more. The Christian worldview, though, provides us with a hope that cannot be taken away. Where there is faith in Christ, there's also a deep-rooted hope in His good and faithful care over our lives. Even when we experience untold suffering, we can experience hope in the midst of all of it because of God's unfailing love and commitment to us. When we belong to the Lord, we can have confidence that God uses all our circumstances, even the horrific ones, to purify our hearts and to make us more like Jesus. Even more so, our ultimate hope rests in the glorious truth of our final arrival in the Lord's presence, where we will enjoy the fullness of His glory for all eternity, and as Revelation says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. That's Revelation 21, verse 4. So in the end, all our pain and all our heartache will be mended and healed by God's grace. And lastly, let's take a look at the character of Billy Hargrove. When he enters the picture in season two, he seems like such a simple character, just a big, mean, intimidating bully. And yet, as the story unfolds, we learn that he's actually a very complicated character. There's a lot of hurt and deep wounds behind the veneer of his bravado and aggression. As we learn more of his story, viewers find out that he's grown up with an abusive and demeaning father. And Billy was the primary target for his father's heartless cruelty, and he had been for years. Billy also had a mother that he loved dearly and who made him feel special and loved, but she ultimately left because of Billy's father. And in season three, we learned that his mother's absence had left an incredible void in his heart one that he has covered up with a persona and behavior similar to his father's. Having been on the receiving end of his father's anger and abusive rage, Billy begins taking his anger and aggression out on other people too. However, at the end of season three, Billy undergoes a tremendous change of heart at the most crucial moment, and what fuels this change of heart is the memory of his mother's love and delight in him. And that memory overpowers all the abuse and mistreatment he's experienced at the hands of his father. So just as the upside-down creature is about to kill Elle, Billy sacrifices himself to protect her and to give her time to escape. After a life of vicious bullying and cruelty toward others, in this moment, Billy changes and becomes a character that you hate to see die. The drastic change Billy experiences leaves us with a deep sadness at his death. And yet we also feel a sense of gladness and satisfaction that he died as one of the good guys. So I think we can draw several important insights from the character of Billy Hargrove. First, behind Billy's aggressive personality and thick-skinned persona lie gaping wounds and unspeakable pain. In ministry and in relationships, this is what we often find as well. That those who have rough personalities and who experience difficulty in relationships often have deep hurts hidden within their hearts. We encounter people like Billy in real life, and in several ways we are like Billy. So remembering that deep pain is often hidden behind an arrogant persona can help us endure insults and relational troubles. We seek to persevere in loving those who are difficult to love. Another thing, as evil and cruel as Billy is, he's not as bad as he could be. Because of this, we can connect the truths of Scripture to Billy as a character. The Bible is clear that we are dead in sin, Ephesians 2, verse 1, and that we have no hope without Christ, Ephesians 2, verse 12. And yet, because of God's common grace, we are not as bad and evil as we would be without His gracious influence. And lastly, although we enjoy seeing a bad character change into a good character the way billy's portrayed in stranger things doesn't quite square with what god says to us in his word here's what i mean at the end of season three after billy's transformation and sacrifice to save l you're left with the impression that billy is a really good guy deep down but his circumstances and his environment have made him the way that he is he's bad because he's been treated badly And his true inner goodness comes out in the end. This, of course, is an aspect of Billy's story that the gospel confronts because it doesn't portray the problem of human badness accurately. According to Scripture, we're not bad ultimately because of our environment, but because of the corruption of our hearts. Of course, the suffering we experience in life and the ways we're sinned against by others certainly does influence us and have the potential to harden us even more. But the most important answer for our badness is revealed to us by God. And in His Word, He tells us that we're bad because of the dark sinfulness of our own hearts. Our environment doesn't make us bad. It only provokes and draws out the badness that is already in our hearts. This also is important to understand for ministry and for relationships, because the world would have us believe that we are basically good and that it's only our environment that makes us bad. Staring our badness in the face is not easy to do. And in our fallenness, we would rather believe the lie that we are good at heart than admit our utter brokenness and recognize our desperate need for a Savior. As Dan Strange says, our idols are always parasites on the truth and glimmer with elements of truth. So Billy's transformation, it's compelling to witness. But the message that's represented through his transformation in the show that Billy's basically good, but his environment and experiences have made him bad. Those things stand in opposition to the message of the gospel, which says that we are bad and need to be rescued from our sin. But we love it when people experience radical transformation. We enjoy seeing people who were once selfish and unkind become people who are selfless and generous and willing to lay down their preferences for the sake of others. Along with this longing to see people changed, Though we must not embrace the idolatrous lie that we are inherently good, but we must acknowledge the bad news of Scripture, which says that we are ourselves bad, so that we might rejoice in the good news of salvation offered to us in Jesus. So these are just several thoughts that I've come up with after thinking through Stranger Things for a while. I'm sure there's much more that could be said, but I hope this gives you a feel for how we can use things from the culture to help yourself and others develop a more thoroughly Christian worldview, to grow in discernment and to find ways to winsomely and persuasively connect with culture as we engage and talk with non-Christians about our faith. And this is so important for parenting as well. As our children grow older and enjoy aspects of culture like movies, music, and video games, we can use these things as opportunities for gospel-centered and worldview-forming conversations. So when it comes to parenting, discipleship, or evangelism, there really are opportunities for this sort of thing everywhere around us. The big question for us is will we see those opportunities and will we seize them as often as we can? Well, that's it for this episode of Informed and Inflamed. Thanks again so much for joining me, and I look forward to connecting with you again next time.